Welcome to Live Happily Ever Awesome. Join me and PACT certified therapist Julie Rappaport where we discuss relationships, learn how to bring the magic back to yours, and become a better partner. To join the discussion live, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Clydesdale Media. Sign up for notifications so you can call in with your questions or just join the chat. Be sure to like and share these episodes with your partner and friends. The following presentation is not therapy or a substitute for therapy. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, here we are. Howdy, howdy. Good morning. Good morning. We are live with Julie Rappaport, uh, Live Happily Ever Awesome. This is episode two of our series, uh, weekly series here of uh, couples counseling and relationships and little pop culture and see what's happening and doing. Well, how was your week, Jules? Oh, yeah, it was, it was good. It just flew by. It just, well, it's, uh, it's just yeah. the kids are back in school. So <clears throat> is that yeah. a tough re-entry for them? No, I think they were excited. Oh, um, good. Yeah. yeah. My daughter was excited to get back. She told me that she was excited because she doesn't have to pay for lunch anymore. She gets to go <laughs> eat lunch at school because she's, she's 17 and, you know, buys crap. Yes. During the week, and I guess now cafeteria food apparently is cheaper than uh, than the Chipotle or whatever else she's been getting. So that's yeah, good. yeah, that is nice to not have to <clears throat> make lunches and yeah. I always get a little bit, um, and I haven't. I uh, disclaimer: I haven't felt this way in a few years since I've quit my job at corporate and become a full time coach. But when I was a corporate employee, um, I would get major holiday post holiday blues, mm. like you go through this whole period of like ramping up for Christmas and the holidays and new years and the kids are home and you know, you can sleep in and you really don't have to worry about a whole lot. And then like the two, one or two days before you get ready to go back to work again, it's like those Sunday night scaries, but like exponentially worse Mm. because you know, the kids are going back and just life's going to be different. And there's really not aside from like spring break, there's really not much to look forward to in terms of that. The weather's kind of crappy, at least, you know, where I am here on the East coast. Um, does that like play into relationships at all? Or do you, do you find that? I mean, that's normal. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's, it's uncanny. It's, um, <laughs> you know, I always say like, it's amazing in December how relationships just r- miraculously get better. And then mm. in January, they're back, you know, and it's more just like, oh, people are so busy preparing for the holidays and spending money and, you know, that sort of thing that they just don't, they don't really come in as much. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then it's over and they're like, now we've got real problems. <laughs> Emily has been here. Right. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's interesting. I like yeah. that. All yeah. right. So last week we talked a little bit about rom-coms. Um, this week, the title of our show is communication. It's all Greek to me. So I'm going to let you just say a few words and then we'll see if we get any, any callers or any people in the <laughs> chat that want to talk about that specifically. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, I would say at least eight times out of 10, when people come in to see me, you know, if they, if I ask them what they're coming in for, almost always they say communication. Um, And, you know, it's such a broad term that it could, you know, communication for one couple could mean something completely different than to another couple. So it's, you know, getting specific. So that being said, like just saying communication, it's a huge topic um, that, you know, could devote, we could devote many episodes to, and maybe we will, but um, 
But, you know, I think one of the major things that, you know, I mean, we went into PACT last um, episode, but, you know, PACT having the big component of attachment theory in it is, you know, attachment theory comes into play when a uh, big time when it comes to communication. Um, meaning that different people have different um, attachment styles and, and those attachment styles kind of dictate how we want, how we want to be communicated with and how we communicate. And okay. so if we have two different people raised in two different environments and, you know, two different upbringings, and we somehow default to thinking that our way of communicating is going to work for the other person. And we don't even have a, a consideration for the fact that these are, you know, we're two different individuals. Um, and so it, it's a, a big learning curve. And often what happens um, is I, I often like these people, these couples come in and they're like, God, you know, it, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm so frustrated. Nothing works, you know? And and what I tell them is, it sounds to me like you're putting in a lot of effort to try to make this better. And, you know, yes. And then I say, well, it sounds to me more like you're putting in a lot of effort. So A for effort, good job. But F for execution in the way that our partner, you know, it, 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 like oftentimes if the partner is communicating, like, I don't think, um, I don't feel loved at all. I don't feel important to you at all. And the other partner is like, how is that possible? I do this for you, that, this, that, you know, they're naming these things, but they're not the way in which their partner receives it. So that like those things, all these things that this person is doing is not hitting the nail on the head and not even registering for their partner, because that's not the way they receive love. But they're thinking the whole time that they're doing all this work and, you know, yes. it, aren't I great at affirmations or whatever else it is, but that person just isn't wired to receive them. Right. So they, they're like that, that just goes by as though it just passes through and mm -hmm. it doesn't, doesn't put any money in the bank. And, mm -hmm. and so what I try to help people with is understanding how their partner works um, <clears throat> such that if they're going to put on and all this effort, let's make it like you get the, the payoff for it because otherwise mm -hmm. people just get super frustrated and rightfully so. And then it's just like, you get to the point of, um, why even bother, which is a really bad place to get to because, you know, then there's just no effort. Mm -hmm. Can you give <laughs> us some examples of certain attachment styles and how, people prefer to be communicated with based on those? Yeah. I mean, of course there's, there's the general, but then everybody has specifics, right? Sure. So, um, you know, there's the kind of, I mean, there's ambivalent attachment. Um, what does that mean? Exactly. That, that means, and it's also called anxious attachment. Um, typically it, it is a person who, was raised with a kind of an inconsistent caregiver. Um, somebody who maybe was really present and caring and loving at, at 
sometimes and then kind of harsh and rejecting at other times. Um, typically their, their primary caregiver would be kind of overwhelmed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, also these individuals uh, tend to have to have um, kind of stayed young but also it's a kind of a paradox. It's like they had to stay young and they got love that way, but they also had to be kind of parentified and take care of their parent. Because of, of the inconsistency of that care. Yeah. And okay. so there's so somebody like somebody, a parent who maybe was, and this is like an extreme, but maybe somebody who was like in and out of prison and they were like swapped around to different places, like grandma's raising you and then you're going to the aunt's house and then now you're back at home or is it could be um typically it's you know somebody who's present in Mm -hmm. in the home but is you know maybe it's like you know this like a toddler that has drawn something and is like hey you know and showing let's just say it's mom Mm -hmm. um showing mom but mom is busy or occupied or overwhelmed and and doesn't doesn't give the attuned response is kind Uh of, you know, and so the kid is really just like "Mm -hmm, summer. And then sometimes the kid might come up and the parent is like, Oh, that's wonderful. You know? And, and then sometimes that parent can also be a bit more clingy rather than totally attuned. So it's like this Mm -hmm. clingy and then rejecting. And so it's the kid doesn't, it's like, I I don't know if I'm coming or going kind of thing can happen. So that's more like anxious attachment. And then avoidant attachment is uh, typically comes from a, a person raised with more neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, they spend a lot of time alone as a kid. Um, they kind of, uh, they're more internal, uh, like to be alone a lot because they spent a lot of time alone um, and they had to cope that way. And so, um, so those are kind of the main, and then there, of course there's secure attachment, which kind of is right down the middle. And mm-hmm. that's like the, the, you know, the ideal, the, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to say ideal, but it's like, you know, um, where you had consistency, you, know, you had, you weren't neglected, you were attuned to, um, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, each, you know, let's just go with the, you know, anxious and avoidant, those attachment styles, they have different um, wounds, core wounds, I would say. And, and so therefore, um, what's important to them is different. And, you know, so let's just say somebody with um, somebody who's more avoidant, uh, really values, um, achievement. They, they feel good. They, they're contributing to that. Um, and, and they, what they would, what they really appreciate, well, appreciate, but they really like and feel good and feel loved if their partner is happy, as well as if their partner is appreciating them like that they are doing the right thing um, okay. rather than, cause they have this, they tend to have this tape that I'm, I'm always doing it wrong. I'm kind of a fuck up. I, mm-hmm. you know, and so to kind of counteract that tape and to make them realize like, Oh, I actually am doing it right. 
um, appreciation goes a long way. Um, whereas for um, the ambivalent, more ambivalently attached, uh, that doesn't necessarily tend to be, and of course these are just generalizations, but right. it doesn't necessarily tend to be their core wound. Um, oftentimes it can be more like that they don't matter, they're unimportant. Um, and so, you know, they, it, it's like, if they get appreciation, it's kind of, you know, it's like, oh, thanks. That's nice. But more that would hit the nail on the head for them would be more like, um, you, you matter so much to me. You are so important to me and not, not necessarily always in words, right. It, it also depends on how they're, how, what their love language is. So it might just be little notes or, little check-ins or, you know, just things that they're like, oh, that makes me feel important. Um, okay. So it, but, you know, again, if the person who likes appreciation then just appreciates their partner, that's a, it's a miss, you're going to miss one another and yeah. vice versa. If the other person does little things for them to make them feel important, they're like, well, that's great and all, but, but am I doing anything right in your eyes? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Is it um, is it hard for people to adjust sort of the communication that they're that they're putting off because of the way, you know, if I'm, you know, call me category A and I like to communicate category A, but my partner needs category B. Is it hard for me to learn how to communicate in category B? Well, it's uh, I mean, what I always, what I, always... Effort, I would imagine and some education. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, a lot of times what I, I mean, part of what I do in in session is educating one another, you know, the partners on their, their significant other, um, in order for them to get like, why what they have been doing isn't working, mm -hmm. and what to do differently, and how to do it differently, so that, you know, their efforts are, are being are paying off. But um, I often say to couples, you know, this, this stuff is, is simple. It's really simple, but it's not easy because it's not like oftentimes, um, you know, like for, for me, and I'll just speak for my own relationship, my husband's, uh, my husband loves physical touch. And that doesn't necessarily mean sexual touch. It's just, you know, reaching out, touching his hand, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that is not, it's not second nature to me. Um, okay. and so for me, I really have to think about it. Um, and actually, and like, there's something in me sometimes that's like, God, that feels really awkward, uncomfortable or whatever. And I have to just do it. You know, it's kind of, I, I really have to work with myself and my own inner workings of just do it because mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do rather than the thing that for me that would feel good is something that isn't going to give me any cost benefit. Interesting. So it is, uh, it oftentimes is working, you know, it's kind of doing the right thing rather than the thing that feels good to you in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's hard because when you're, if, especially if you're reacting to things, you know, in real time, it's a lot easier for you to sort of just go with your instincts, which are going to be, you know, the things that you want to do or, or receive. Yeah. And, and then what happens, your partner feels unseen 
and misunderstood. And, you know, we all want to feel really seen and understood. And so it's really in our best interest to really put our efforts towards what they're needing, because if they're good, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And if they're not good, I am not good. Uh, And everybody knows that, but we seem to try to forget that and just become kind of selfish and Mm -hmm. we default because humans misbehave. We're just, we just do that. Right. So knowing that, is it true then that opposites attract? Hmm. Oftentimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, 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 uh, it's more convoluted than that, of course, but it's like a lot of times avoidant and anxiously attached people come together. together. That's not necessarily like that two avoidance can't get together or too ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but the, the thing is that they have to have some resonance in their history in order to even come together in the first place. So meaning, you know, Yes, like the avoid, it's kind of like they could have the exact same upbringing in terms of what they experienced, but the way in which they coped with it would be totally different. And so the resonance would be, oh, these experience are, these experiences were very similar, but the way in which they coped with it is very different. And so that's where then the miscommunication happens. Interesting. Is there a way for people to figure out what their um, parental attachment category is? Yeah. I um, want to take a quiz or something. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, you know, my mentor, um, the, the founder of PACT, he has a couple books that I always recommend. One is um, Wired for Love. That's really good. It goes over kind of how we in PACT work with these attachment styles. Um I think Diane Poole Heller has a book. I forgot what it's called, but she has one on attachment. Um, And then, you know, Stan Taktkin is the founder of PACT. And so he has a bunch of books, but I would say Wired for Love is probably the one I would start people off with. Okay. And you clearly, when you see couples in therapy, are you, those are, those are the types of things. I mean, is that your first session with somebody is like, all right, let's talk about how you were raised? Like, yes. I mean, I, and I don't necessarily, I, I don't ever just say, Oh, you're ambivalently attached or you're right. You right. Know, right. Or anxious, you, you, know. you, get, you get the idea. And so that you can figure out and give them cues and absolutely. Yeah. We have a question here from Joe. Would opposites attract be positive in the beginning of a relationship, but maybe negative down the road? Uh, I mean, yes, but so could any, you know, I don't think it's necessarily uh, <clears throat> that the attachment, the opposites, um, that that's the issue. It would be kind of either that you kind of went, you're, you couldn't see, because oftentimes with these opposites that attract, it's like if you could see the positives in this one and the positives in this one, they really balance one another out very well. But what can happen is that each person kind of is on their end of the spectrum and thinking they're really great and fighting for that. And if you're fighting for that, I mean, then there's only two people. Sure. um, And the only thing that can happen there is kind of war. 
So it's kind of like, you got to find like, Hey, what's good here. What's good here. What's not good here. What's not good here. Cause neither one are fantastic on their own, but the, the mixture of them is, is actually quite lovely. And that goes from the beginning as well as all the way through. Yeah. I like that. All right. We have another question. My wife has a lot of anxiety, constantly thinking something is wrong. House has mold, dogs have fleas, kids sick, et cetera. How do I talk her off the ledge, but still validate her feelings? Um, It's a mature question. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. Um, So part, part of it, you know, that is that, that all sounds very anxious. Um, And so sometimes with anxiety, a lot of uh, times they feel a sense of overwhelm. And so really, um, because they have, they have so much going on and they're trying to handle everything and they never had a primary caregiver to like really be there and help them out. And so the best thing is, you know, you could just say, it seems like you're feeling anxious or seems like you're feeling overwhelmed. But I would say put in your arsenal is always say, what do you need right now? What do you need right now? And and like, I love you so much. What do you need right now? And going towards her. Um, Don't stand back from her, go towards her, be loving, maybe even grab her hand, sit her down, just really. And um, oftentimes, individuals like this, uh, when asked what they need, um, one, they will tend to go a bit nebulous. Um, they'll kind of be like, well, I just need you to, you know, clean up more or, you know, and, and it's, it's an impossible task, right? Like, okay, but right. So get them to hone in on right here, right now. Okay. Got it. Um, you want me to clean up more, but right now, what do you need? right now and keep they'll you know they'll throw out these kind of um deflections um, <laughs> and you just have to keep coming back oh got it okay but right here right now what can i do what what do you need and sometimes then when held to in the moment they will um sit there and say i i, I don't know mm-hmm. because nobody ever asked them that it was always about somebody else's needs and so um, the best thing then is to say, yeah, I get it. Um, take your time. I'm not going anywhere. And you just stay with them and you just let them process it. And because if they don't know what they need, how the hell is anyone supposed to help them? And it, it's then the partner kind of tends to shoot in the dark all the time and always get it wrong. And so um, it's really that then goes into the avoidant attachment where they feel like they can't get anything right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this, it's, it's a cycle. So I just would suggest kind of just sitting her down, um, changing environment or positioning is also very good. Like take her from one position, sit her down if she's standing up or if she's standing up or if she's sitting down, then stand her up and move her to a different place. That can also work really well. You just want some sort of state change. You could also do something really unexpected. Um, and that's really cool to do. Just something wacky that she doesn't expect you're ever going to do. 
meaning like you could do a little dance that mm-hmm. you know and and she'd I be like up and swing her around yeah or whatever you know and she you know the, even if she's like what are you doing like that's a state change right and so mm-hmm. the unexpected always does that i like that for sure like it um what about this concept of the communication styles between men and women like the whole you know men are from mars women are from venus like yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily go into that too much. I mean, I think what I would say, you know, just societally, uh, women are taught or it's more socially acceptable for women to be in their emotions. I think that's beginning to change. But um, and men kind of have been told to, you know, suck it up, uh, get tough it's weak to show emotions, you know, and keep it to yourself and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I think oftentimes that can show up um, where, you know, in, in again, generalization, but um, that the men are, are kind of keeping more internal and the women are emoting and the men probably came from, you know, in this dynamic came from a, a family where they didn't do emotion. And so, or, and so they, they're like, here, I have this emotional person in front of me and I have no idea what to do with it. And then this emotional person, this woman is like, what is wrong with this person? He doesn't have any emotions. He's dead. I can't read him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that sometimes um, it's, it's a, a matter of understanding one another, where you come from, why you are that way and how to actually meet one another so that you're not overwhelming somebody or you're not um, what's called kind of uh, under responding. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about, we talked a little bit last week about um, the importance of like premarital counseling, basically, you know, like before you actually get into this long-term relationship that you should, you know, spend some time to get to know people and things like that. Let's talk about people that are in like a new relationship. What, what are some of the first steps that they should take to sort of set the stage or lay the foundation for, for like better communication going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think sharing about your, how you were raised, um, what did you guys talk about things? Did you not talk about things? Did you, you know, what about emotions? Were you told that crying was bad or what, you know, were you um, tended to regularly if you were upset or were you sent to your room? Like all these things are, are really good. And like, kind of take notes of what your partner is telling you, because that's going to be their go-to. That's going to be their expectation of how to do things. And then you can say, wow, you know, that is so different. I need this or wow, you, it sounds like you need more space and that Mm -hmm. would be so contrary to what I need and also so contrary to what I would naturally think to give you. Right. So just kind of talking about those things, I think would, um, I mean, aside from therapy, of course, but, um, uh, I think that would go a long way and help you to better understand one another and be able to, um, and, and asking one another, like, you know, when you're upset, what do you, what, what works for you? What do you typically need? Do you need a hug 
or do you need space or do you need to talk or do you need um, to go for a bike ride? Like what, what do you need? And, you know, that would um, give you some hints of how to work with one another. Ice cream. Ice cream is, you know, pretty much pretty good too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, Okay, good. Uh, Any other, uh, any other sort of tidbits on this communication piece that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Or share. Um, I know we had some notes, but I don't have them in front of me, of course. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the it's Greek to me just really kind of comes down to like that how we each speak our own language. And we're thinking that like if I speak French and you speak Greek and I'm trying to like I'm just speaking French to you because I'm like, of course, you know, French and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're speaking Greek to me and I don't know what you're talking about. Like you, your responsibility to me as my partner is to learn French fluently. Mm. And my responsibility is to learn Greek fluently. And, um, and so, and that way we really understand one another. We, you know, we know one another, we feel seen. Um, It, it goes very, very well. Yeah. And, I assume too, it's not, I don't need to go away and buy some app and learn it. Like I want to learn it from you. Yeah. Right. Learn it, like, learn from one another. Your language. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit harder, I think to do on your own. You might, you know, you might need a little bit of guidance um, mm-hmm. from a therapist, but it's not impossible. You certainly can, you know, um, I would recommend, you know, wired for love and relationship RX and th- oh. these, um, uh, you know, written and oral communications from, from Stan that um, really could help. There's little exercises too that that are at the end of chapters that you could do that would help. Okay. Relationship Rx, is that another book that you just remember the name of? Well, that's Stan, another one of Stan's. That one is on um, audio only and you can listen together and do the exercises. Let's see it. All right. We got... A new listener here. Are there strategies to address or overcome one partner's resistance to learning the other's language? Hmm. That's um, so that's a bigger issue. Um, Why wouldn't that person want to learn their partner's language? One, because um, it it's going to make their life easier. Um, And two, then why are they in a relationship and yeah. they don't want to get to know their partner and, and really um, have their partner feel seen and understood. Like, so th- that would be uh, a bigger issue as far as like, what's going on? Or, you know, it's more like what, what it sounds like to me is that person is kind of defaulting to a one person system while, while within a two person system. And when you do that, that's, that's never going to go well. Um, you have to, if you're in a two person system, you have to function as a two person system. And that means I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I do for you as, as what I expect from you is to do this and I will do the same. Um, it's, it's fair. It, and so, um, it, it makes, it, it's a little bit concerning, um, that question. Mm-hmm. That, you know uh oh stay tuned maybe you can call in there's a there's a phone number to call um 
Okay, so what are our plans for next week? Well, next week, we're going to talk about um, CrossFit <laughs> and relationships. I love it. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. I feel yeah, like that's another one we could- A million you know. shows on that. Maybe what we'll do is we'll have people put in the comments here if uh, if they have specifics, not in the chat, but in the comments once this um, publishes to YouTube on specifics there because there's a lot going on. Um, you know, you've got love triangles, infidelity, you have relationships between coaches and athletes. You have, um, you know, I know l last week somebody was saying something about, you know, having a partner very much into CrossFit and having another partner not into CrossFit. And like, how does that dynamic work? So I definitely think, you know, when we pose the question is really, is CrossFit bad for your relationship? And that the answer is it depends, right? And there's lots of different um, scenarios that we can that we can sort of unpack there. So I think we definitely will have a lot more engagement next week with uh, definitely with the folks that uh, that normally follow us here on this channel because a lot of us are CrossFit athletes. Yeah. So that'll be really cool. I'm looking forward to that. And that is Tuesday, 12:30 Eastern. Tuesday, January 10th. So we're only going like four days before another show. Yeah. Um, so that's um, really fun. Yeah, and and just to put it out there, if if there's if there's things that you all really want to hear about more, like please put them out there. We'd love any suggestions. Um, we want to give you what you're wanting. Yeah, I mean, right now Julie and I are, you know, Julie's coming up with these topics just kind of based on what she sees in her practice, and I'm, you know, she's bouncing them off of me, and I'm and I'm giving her some ideas as well, but this is your show, you guys that are listening, like we're doing this for you. So definitely let us know. Um, go on Instagram and follow live happily ever awesome on Instagram. Um, that's where all the content from the show is going to go. Obviously Clydesdale media will be covering and sharing those posts and things like that, but we'd love to do some things on Instagram, but we only have like 15 followers. So we need more, um, need more followers there, um, to, you know, get the ball rolling and get this community really open and talking about, uh, stuff that nobody really talks about. I love that we're yeah. doing this. And, and please share with friends if you find it beneficial. And Yeah. Um, share, pr promote, invite them to the show, listen with them, listen back with your spouse, um, pick up some tidbits, whatever whatever you think you need to do would be great. Yeah. Okay. And hit, hit me up if you need to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're the best. All right. Thank you so much. You guys have a great week. And uh, hopefully we get some callers next time. We'll see you. Soon.